Young, back to throw. In trouble, he's going to be sacked. No, gets away. He runs, gets away again, goes to the 40, gets away again, to the 35, cuts back at the 30, to the 20, the 50, the 10. He dies. Touchdown, 49ers. What's up, faithful? This is Al Sacco and Zane Nackby here with you for the 49ers Web Zone No Huddle Podcast. And look, if you listen to the show on a weekly basis, you know that we've been talking about measuring sticks for, for the 49ers. We keep seeing that they're playing well week after week. And we said the game against the Titans was a measuring stick because, hey, they're playing a playoff team, and, and how are they going to respond? And then we talked about this Jags game, and, and I, I was nervous about this game. I was just hoping somebody didn't get killed with how good the Jags defense is. And I'm going to get into some specifics about statistics with them with just how good they are. But here's another measuring stick game in Zane. This team just, they blew through the best defense in the league. They did. And the, and I was there at Levi's for, for this game. And the atmosphere there, Al, was unbelievable. It felt like a playoff game. Like, the, obviously, the place isn't full because they still have some work to do with getting the fans back. But, but man, it, it, it was rocking over there. And it was the loudest that I've heard Levi's since Levi's opened. And it, it was one of those situations where it was clearly a superior team in Jacksonville. Like, they, they were superior at almost every position besides, besides quarterback. And that's actually what made the difference is that Jimmy Garoppolo vastly outplayed Blake Bortles. It was just a, a full team when the defense needed to step up when they when they defense stepped up when they needed to. They got a couple of interceptions, and it, it just out. Uh, it's just such a such an exciting time, and I can I can't help but think what would have happened if Jimmy Garoppolo was starting the entire season. Yeah, and and we'll get into more of that as well. And and the future is very exciting. It's legitimately an exciting time. But before we get into that, we're gonna hit up the past a little bit because the Niners have a pretty good past too. With our guest today, the legendary announcer Joe Starkey is on the show. And Zane, when did he work for the Forty ers So he was the play by play guy for twenty years. He started in in eighty seven, and he he took over official play by play duties in in eighty nine, I believe, to two thousand and nine. Okay. Okay. I, I gypped him a few years at the beginning because my my autocorrect failed me, and it's, <laughs> yeah, it, I blame I blame Apple on this one. But uh, Joe Starkey is uh, he's absolutely one of my favorite announcers of all time. Like I used to turn off the TV. Actually, I used to mute the TV broadcast and listen to Joe Starkey on the radio. He was that good. He was amazing, and and I and I and I love him. Yeah, and you'll you'll hear in the interview when Zane introduces him, he gypped him about a decade. <laughs> but um, yeah. Joe was great about it; he was fantastic, you know. And and hey, mistakes like that happen. And and on our show, we let him fly. We're human; it's part of it, you know. We just we we go with it. So it was fun, and it was a funny moment. And and Joe was great about it. And it was a wonderful interview. And again, just when you talk to the guys who were around in the glory days to hear the stories, just good stuff. And I really think the 49ers fans are going to enjoy it. So Rice goes out to the left, and if you want to take one crack, maybe he's the guy you should go for. Young almost falls down. Throws to the end zone. He was the voice of the 49ers from 1998 until 2008. He's behind the mic for several memorable 49ers calls, including Garrison Hurst's 96-yard run against the Jets in 1998, the catch two by Terrell Owens, and the wildcard comeback in 2002 against the Giants. He is Mr. Joe Starkey. Joe, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much, guys. But uh, a brief statistic uh, correction there. I was a sideline guy from 87 and 88, and then I took over in 89 uh, when Lon Simmons left. So you cut me off about 10 years. Oh, I, I did. <laughs> I did. So, yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, we, we, you were there for about 20 years, right? I, I vividly remember yeah, you in the right. dynasty years. Yeah. So Great j- fun. J- get, get right into this. Uh, you had a very good and stable kind of corporate job and, and gave it up to, to pursue becoming a radio announcer. Can you kind of take us through that decision, how, how tough that was for you? Well, it, it it was kind of strange. In fact, it almost hit me sort of blindsided because uh, when I was when I was a kid, I did I used to do like a lot of guys who ended up in our business in, in that era. Was uh, you would sit in front of a television set 
and turn off the sound and call a game. <clears throat> Usually it would be baseball because uh, baseball was covered so much more frequently at that time and it was easy to see the numbers and the names and so you would just practice. But as I uh, went through college and got an MBA in business, um, I, frankly the broadcasting world sort of just disappeared. Wasn't that something I thought was realistic? So um, I went to work for a couple of companies on the West Coast, came out of Chicago and uh, first worked as a recruiter for Mattel Toys at the peak of their uh, Barbie doll era, and then uh, went to a bank, a union bank, and was on a vice president of union bank. When I got to the bank, I just had this thing in my head that said, you know, if you're ever going to try broadcasting, uh, this better be the time, because you're in your 20s and getting into your late 20s, and uh, you're, you're a VP of a bank, so you've got some credentials already, so let's take a flyer. And so I started making tapes. I would literally go sit in the forum in Inglewood and um, games at uh, Dodger Stadium and the like and go sit in the corner and uh, just practice. And when I thought things were good enough, um, I submitted tapes. Uh, we, I'd been transferred up to the Bay Area from the uh, Los Angeles office. And when I got up here, I learned that the uh, the SEALs didn't have a radio station or a hockey announcer. And so when I heard that they were going to get back on the air in 1972, um, I took some tapes I'd made over the last couple of years, literally called Charlie Finley on the telephone uh, at his office in Chicago and said, I'd like you to listen to my tapes. Uh, I know you need an announcer. Um, I'd like a shot at it. So I went back to my hometown, had an interview with Charlie, and ended up getting the job uh, as a miracle, believe it or not. <laughs> and we're off from running from there. And Joe, I read an article that you used to head over to the forum in Los Angeles and, and practice your play-by-play in kind of an unorthodox way. You used to take a, a tape recorder with you, right? Yeah, and that and you know that was a different time uh, back in the seventies. You didn't have the same kind of recording equipment you have now. So basically, it was a is a bulky cassette recorder is what I took. And uh, the forum, uh, it, it was a different era. Even the Lakers uh, wouldn't necessarily sell out every night, and that was in their their some great years too. And definitely the Kings did not sell out every night. So it was fairly easy to find uh, some empty corners of the of the forum and, and tape games. Although one of the strangest breaks I got is that uh, some of your listeners will probably remember there was a league called the ABA, American Basketball Association, that came into existence for a brief time in the uh, 70s. And uh, they had a team in L.A. So I called the general manager, and I knew they weren't even on the radio. So I called a guy named Jim Hardy, who used to be a star with the Rams and ended up being their general manager, and he'd become the the uh, president of the uh, basketball team, the ABA Hollywood uh, Los Angeles Stars. And uh, I said, I'd like to practice my broadcasting at a press table because I know you don't have a lot of media coverage and you're not on the radio. Would you mind if I sat at the press table? And he had a great answer. He said, uh, he said we'll put you anywhere you want to be. He says, maybe somebody will believe we're really on the radio. So... <laughs> So I did that uh, for a year or two. So, so I, any chance I had to practice, I took it. And I've always told that to everybody who's followed me, uh, uh, younger guys who are trying to break in. I said, doesn't matter where you start. If you're good, they'll find you. And that's the way it works. So I just practice, practice, and practice, and sent out reams of cassettes and to various locations for interviews. And in fact, I got one of my biggest jobs. In fact, it's probably the key to my NFL career was uh, I sent a cold tape of my Cal football broadcast in the mid-70s all over the NFL. So I went to every team, and the Vikings answered me and hired me Hmm. in 1977. And so that gave me credibility at the NFL level and led to what happened later. And Joe, how tough was it pulling double duty for the 49ers and, and the Cal Bears, given the fact that you had to be extremely prepared for both situations? It was incredibly demanding because most of the years I did the double duty, I also was sports director at KGO, so that meant I had a daily sports show besides. And a lot of it was probably nuts to try to do that much, but um, one of the things that was a catalyst to do that is I saw it happen to one of the great 49er broadcasters. Don Klein uh, got the 49er job in 1981, and at that point he'd been doing Stanford football and basketball for a quarter century. And yet he quit Stanford to do the 49ers, and KCBS had the rights, but only held them for six years. So six years later, he has no 49ers, he has no KCBS, he has no Stanford football or basketball, and I said, I'm not going to let that happen to me. I'm going to take a run at it and see if I can handle them both and see how long I can do it, and that's why I took a shot at it. It was difficult. The, some of the all-night plane rides are 
ridiculous how difficult they could be and, and mm-hmm. complex, but I'm really glad I did it because I was part of a, a great era. It's interesting. We've had a lot of former players on, and it seems at some point, whether we bring it up or not, Eddie DeBartolo always gets brought up. And the fact that he takes care of his players and, and his staff and he treated them like family. And I'm curious to hear what your relationship was like with Mr. DeBartolo and, and maybe some stories you could share about him. Um, Eddie DeBartolo was the most unique owner in all of sports that I've ever seen. Uh, comparing, for example, having worked for Charlie Finley for a while, who was one of the great jackasses of all times. And <laughs> suddenly you work for a fan like, he, he was horrible. I mean, he didn't like anybody. He was, uh, dogmatic, autocratic, didn't get along with people. So help me God, this is true. At one point, his entire front office for the Seals hockey team was seven people. That was it. Wow. And he had little more than that, believe it or not, with the A's. When he owned the A's, he didn't do it. So he, he was not exactly a magnanimous spirit. Eddie was just the opposite. Eddie couldn't do enough for anybody who had anything to do with the team. And even to this day, his legend goes on in what he will do for uh, there have been players who have suffered cancer, who have had terrible illnesses, who have had family tragedies. If he finds out about it, and, and he makes sure he finds out about it, by the way, most of the time, he will step in dramatically. We had a good friend of mine who was a 49er uh, PR person for a long time named Dave Ron. Dave got cancer, and he wasn't even 50 years of age. And Eddie literally sent him all over the country in his private plane to see if they could find some place to treat him to get him the best cancer treatment. That's what he would do for people. Uh, wow. He is one of the most unique people I've ever known. Well, wow. and uh, you're, not, you're not the first person to say that. I, I feel like so many people have so many fond memories of, of Eddie DeBarlo, and he's impacted so many lives beyond football. And he just, just a really, seemed like a really, really great guy. And it seemed like the 49ers were a family at that time. Yes, and I mean, you really were a family. I can remember he said to me once, uh, and I, at that point I'd been working for him for maybe three years, um, and we were at a party together, and uh, my wife and I were uh, talking to Eddie, and he turned to uh, my wife and looked at me and said, I want you to know, as long as I own this team, he's my announcer. Hmm. Wow. So that's the kind of person he was, you know. He had that kind of character. Well, it's just, yeah, the guy obviously bringing the fans, he brought us five Super Bowl championships, and, and I, I just can't say enough about the guy, what he's done for us fans, and it's, it's always really cool to hear from people that work with him on, on a day-to-day yeah, basis. Yeah, and, and for example, right now, you, you know, it just goes without saying that anything that Dwight Clark needs or anything that might help Dwight Clark, Eddie is absolutely on top of it. That's great to hear. Whether it was the 49ers or Cal, You've had a lot of famous calls. We talked about the, the Garrison Hurst run, and, and you've called two Super Bowls, and obviously you called the, the big game uh, band on the field play. Uh, what were some of your favorite calls of all time? Well, if, if it's football, then <clears throat> I loved uh, Terrell Owens, uh, maybe my single favorite 49er call, because it was almost unexpected. I mean, Owens was a, a young player then. He, he, couldn't, he wasn't playing very well. He couldn't hang out of the ball. He had a lot of drops in that particular game. Uh, the Packers owned Steve Young and the 49ers in that era. We just couldn't beat him. Mm-hmm. And so here out of nowhere, we win this game in the opening rounds of the playoffs against the Packers. By the way, for a team that really should have gone all the way to the Super Bowl. It was a Garrison Hurst uh, year where he got hurt. Mm-hmm. And uh, I really thought it was a great 49er team that should have got there. But that was certainly one of the great moments. Um, just being part of uh, broadcasting some of those games. I mean, I was the third man in the booth when Lon had the great call against Cincinnati in the Super Bowl when uh, mm-hmm. uh, the, the pass to Taylor that uh, that won that game. So there were a lot of great 49er moments, unexpected wins at the last moment of the game in Montana, throwing a last-second pass, Young doing something dramatic, uh, Jerry Rice uh, there for his great uh, setting, world sec- record-setting catches. Uh, so it was really special. and. Um, if you take it outside the football realm, though, one of the things that I probably am, uh, uh, remember as much as anything I've ever done was the uh, Lake Placid Olympics. Um, I had been in the NHL for seven years and had just left the NHL to come back to San Francisco to uh, work at KGO Radio. And uh, ABC had the rights to the Olympics, so I went up to Lake Placid and I covered every hockey game. And I actually broadcast the final period of the U.S.-Russia game. Uh, so um, oh, wow. that was as memorable a moment as I've ever had in sports, uh, almost beyond anything else. And Joe, I, I there's one call actually that I remember that very vividly 
uh, from from my childhood. And uh, it was, I believe, in 1993 when the 49ers were playing the Dolphins. It was a rainy Sunday at Candlestick, and Jerry Rice scored his 101st touchdown. So in 1993, mm-hmm. and you, you, you had called that Highway 101 belongs to Jerry Rice. It, was just, it was just kind of stuck out of my head. Uh, that was probably one of my favorite calls that you had. Well, thank you. And what I, what I made a point of doing, and I've talked uh, to a lot of the, uh, the big names in our business about that, is it's very important not to script it. Uh, I never listened to a Vin Scully call or the great Dick Enberg who just passed away uh, without knowing and talking to them about the fact that do not script, uh, even if you know something's coming, a record-setting play is due, a, for a, the la- a record touchdown, a record uh, home run. Do not script it. And so I never went into a game uh, prepared to say a particular line when a record was set, and that was the case of that. That just popped into my head on that call. That was, it was fantastic. It, it, I vividly remember that. Great call. And you mentioned Dick Enberg. Can, can you kind of... Uh, Talk about what Dick Enberg meant to you and, and your career. Well, I, when I was when we came out of Chicago and moved to the West Coast, the first, practically the first sports voice I heard on the radio in the late '60s was uh, Dick Enberg. He was doing UCLA basketball and he was doing Rams football, and so I was immediately caught up in how good he was. Uh, we had we had great guys in Chicago. I uh, one of the men that helped me in my career enormously that really helped me get started um, was a guy named Jack Brickhouse, who was the Cub announcer, and he was a tremendous uh, guide for me breaking into the business at all. He made contacts for me, did all sorts of things that he didn't have to do. And so he got to the West Coast, and now I hear another great announcer in uh, L.A. At that time, um, I, come on, you have Scully, you have Chick Hearn, you have Dick Enberg. It was the glory times, I thought, of uh, Los Angeles sports. Mm-hmm. And Enberg seemed to know everything about everything. He had a pleasing way. Uh, when he wasn't on the mic, there was nothing phony about him. He was the same kind of guy if you talked to him off the mic and met him somewhere as he would be if you were doing a broadcast with him. I was lucky enough to meet him when he was inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. I covered that, and he was one of the oh, nicest yeah. sports personalities, celebrities I've ever met in my life. He was the kindest, most gracious person. Yeah, he was, he was phenomenal, phenomenal. I also um, think he's the best tennis announcer ever. Nobody has ever touched him mm-hmm. in the ability to personalize and make you feel that you just are enjoying every moment of a tennis match, which in the big world of sports, you know, tennis is probably, what, fifth or sixth in the, in the big picture of major sports. But Dick Enberg could just com- completely captivate you that you would not turn it off. Just a legend, just a legend. Now, Joe, you mentioned some of some of the players you covered over the years, and can you pinpoint any favorite players or coaches, or, or maybe just some that you would build strong relationships with over your decades with the 49ers? I would say the uh, the coach. Uh, I got. I was uh, I was surprised at how close I was able to get to Bill Walsh because I was in awe of Bill Walsh when I took the job. Um, I'd only known him as a sports reporter until KGO got the rights in '87, but then all of a sudden I'm part of the broadcast. And so every week of the season, in the two years that I worked on the broadcast before Bill retired, Bill and I would sit down for an hour on a Thursday afternoon and talk about the game. And so I got to know him very well. Um, I had incredible admiration for him. I thought he was one of the most honest and decent people I've ever known. He had a great heart. Uh, One of the things he would talk about uh, in relation to players uh, was the fact that he had this uh, reputation of he had no problem cutting players and all that sort of thing. And that wasn't true. It broke his heart when he had to cut somebody. But he also was professional enough to know that says you must let a player go a year early rather than a year late. That is the most important thing. But it broke his heart when he had to do something that he didn't really want to do on a personal basis. On a professional basis, knew he had to. I thought he was a great person. I'm glad I had the opportunity to spend so much time with him. And Joe, do you kind of have a chance to follow the 49ers closely right now, or is it more of an afterthought due to your busy schedule with the Pac-12 and Cal? Yeah, I I don't, I have to admit, I'm not as close to it as I used to be. Uh, It's not an issue of of time or anything like that. It's just that um, you're watching it from afar, so you don't immerse yourself in it the way you do if you're either still doing live sports reports, as I did for so many years at KGO, or if you're doing the games. So I still Mm -hmm. follow them, and I still want them to do well. And I uh, went out uh, two weeks ago. I wanted to see Garoppolo in person. I hadn't, hadn't seen him play yet for the 49ers. 
And when he played that game against Tennessee, I mean, honestly, after the game, I was like, oh, my God, this guy is, this is the real deal. This is, mm-hmm. this, is a, this is a star. And, in fact, even to this moment, I can't quite figure out why New England wouldn't try to do something to keep him because Brady's over 40, and this kid is, what, 24, 25 years of age? Um, mm-hmm. He's got an incredible future ahead of him. And he had everything that I've seen in Steve Young and Montana and going all the way back to Unitas and other of those guys, coolness under pressure and ability to throw a very accurate pass under uh, difficult circumstances. So basically what you're saying is that we're not crazy for kind of uh, thinking that something special is brewing in Santa Clara then? No. In fact, uh, you could make a case that is uh, they shouldn't even be winning this often because they really do have so many holes. I mean, they, they, need, they need better receivers. They need more linemen. There's a lot of things that team needs to be a major competitor again. But Garoppolo has already obviously lifted the level of the team across the board. And if you've got a quarterback that you really believe in, he's going to impact the entire team because you're going to start thinking – with him there, we're going to win. We'll find a way to do it, and that's great for everybody. And real quick, switching gears to Cal football, do you feel like the the Bears have kind of suffered a little bit after Sonny Dykes got, uh, got the job and, and, and left, or do you feel like that's been a good thing for the program's growth? I think that as much as I like Sonny personally, I didn't think his football style fit anything about Berkeley or the Pac-12. Um, we would be in games where we, we had one game where we won 61 to 59 for God's sake. I mean, mm-hmm. scores like that. And what it was doing is the nature of that kind of system is you would have a touchdown on the Cal side of the field, let's say in two or three minutes. And then the defense would have to come out and be on the field for five or six minutes. So the injuries would pile up every year he was there. You'd have more, far more injuries on defense than you would on offense because those guys were just getting worn out. And it wasn't a balanced system, and it was, I didn't think of the big picture it was going to work. And I really like what they're doing now. As I said, I like Dykes personally enormously. We were great friends, but I'm really happy that they've uh, gone to this route. And I think you're going to really like what happens over the next couple of years in Berkeley. And what can Bears fans expect for the next couple of years with new recruiting classes coming in? It, first, my first instinct is really good. I mean, you never know until they actually get there. But one of the things I like best about Wilcox and and I know his dad very well, we've known each other for so long, he was a Niner Hall of Famer, is that Wilcox said, my goal is there's no reason we shouldn't be able to keep kids at home in Northern California. We're going to recruit that way, and we're going to get them. And they did. Their first class is really strong from Northern California athletes. And so if you can tap this market, I mean, I can't tell you how tired I am over the years of uh, Cal against USC or Cal against UCLA or Cal against Oregon or Cal against Washington. And I keep talking about, well, so-and-so was a great star at De La Salle, you know, or he was uh, terrific at this school in the Bay Area. And I thought, that's outrageous. I mean, we've got this beautiful campus, the number one rated public school in America and among the top five in the world, believe it or not. You're telling me you can't create a winning football program? That doesn't make any sense. So hopefully this is the... uh, the time that it will come back together. and It came close. There were a couple of times, the Bruce Snyder era, if they left that alone and Bruce hadn't uh, been allowed to leave, uh, he didn't want to leave, but there were politics involved. There have been times when I thought the breakthrough is here. The Tedford era looked like the breakthrough is here. Well, maybe mm-hmm. this is the time the breakthrough will stay. Joe, I can't thank you enough for, for joining us. And I apologize for jipping you all those years at the beginning because I honestly mean this. Like you were, you were my, you were my favorite radio guy in, in a league full of good radio guys like Merrill Reese and Bob Lamy and these guys. You were my absolute favorite. And, uh, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Great to hear from you. Thank you, Joe. Thanks, Joe. Okay. Bye bye. Thanks again to the legendary Joe Starkey for joining us. That was, that was really cool for, for Zane and I to be able to talk to him and ask him some questions. Um, just really good stuff. So, all right. Now this game, again, just crazy that the Niners came out and hung 44 points on the best defense in the league. And I want to throw out some stats about this, this Jaguars defense because this just wasn't a good defense coming in. This was a dominating defense coming into this game. The Jaguars' defense led the NFL coming into Week 16 in, in points allowed with 209. They led the NFL in passing yards allowed with 169 and sacks with 51. Opposing, opposing quarterbacks had a 65.2 rating against them this whole season. And the Niners dropped 44 on them. The Niners throw for 
241 yards. Um, they only allowed one sack, which I thought was a miracle. And Jimmy Garoppolo has a rating of over 100. Just an unbelievable game. And the Jaguars has actually held teams to 10 points or less in 8 of 14 games this season. Niners had 10 points halfway through the first quarter, and they just kept going. If you're wondering if this is a flash in the pan, it isn't. And I was a little bit nervous, especially initially when Garoppolo was doing well. I mean, it wasn't, you know, he wasn't putting up 30 points a game, but the Niners were moving the ball up and down the field. And you wonder, okay, is this something that's sustainable or is it something where defenses are just trying to figure it out? They don't know what to do. Listen, listen, this is sustainable. This isn't the league not knowing how to defend Colin Kaepernick. This is one of the best play callers in the league getting teamed up with a very, very good quarterback who's showing that he may be able to be an elite quarterback. And when you have a great quarterback and you have a really good head coach, the sky's the limit for your franchise. And that's where the Niners are at right now. The Jaguars had not given up 44 points in the last three games. They did that last game against the 49ers. What they did to that defense, what they did to the Jaguars, they were fighting on the sidelines. The TVs may or may not have caught it, but there was was some bickering on the sidelines. They took multiple unsportsmanlike conducts and personal fouls later on in the game when the game was, was about to be decided. And the 49ers just took it to them the entire day. The score is not indicative of how dominant the 49ers were in that game if you take away that garoppolo interception at the end of the half which we'll which we'll get to in a bit and if you add that fumble return for a touchdown which should have been a touchdown which we'll also get to in a bit this is this is a 50 point game the 49ers put up 50 points on the number one defense if those things happen so the fact that they were evil even able to to compete with them i would have been happy out i would have been i would have been okay when when the score was 1916 jaguars were winning i was like okay I was kind of resigning myself to like, okay, well, you know, they, they stay competitive and, and they kept right. it close and, and that was fine. But man, the way they came back and took control of that game and both on both sides of the ball, they created turnovers. They, they scored when they needed to. And it, it was just a complete team win. Like I was saying before, this, this is, I think what everybody hoped the 49ers would be, but I don't think that people thought it would happen so fast. Like no, this it's, team, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, this this team is the hottest team in the NFL right now. Nobody wants to play the 49ers. And if they beat the Rams this week and pull it off in in LA, which they might because LA I, I don't think they have anything to play for at this point. It's just it's just playoff seeding and by the time the game comes on everything will be decided anyways. It, it's a it, there's a chance that LA may rest some people and if the 49ers end up end up with a 6 and 10 record at the end of the season given the fact that they were winless through almost 10 weeks it's a small miracle isn't it al it is and you know you look at the excitement right now that's going through the fan base you can't blame them because if you look at the total offense for this team in the last 13 years the 49ers in total offense okay in 2004 they were 26th 05 they were last 06 26 2007 they were last 2008 23rd 2009 27th 10 24th 2011 had a great year, but they were 26th in total offense. They weren't letting the world on, on fire offensively with Harbaugh. 2012, they were 11, which was by far the highest they had been in years. 2013, 24. 2014, 20th. In 2015 and 2016, the last two years, they were 31st in total offense. They were atrocious offensively. Right now, they're ranked 12th in, you know, been moving up consistently the past few weeks. The fact that this team is there right now with the talent they have on offense, with a bunch of rookies, with a bunch of people who are unproven, is amazing. And when you start putting pieces around Jimmy Garoppolo and Kyle Shanahan's offense now, the sky really is the limit. They're going to improve the interior of that offensive line, You know whether they draft a Quentin Nelson or, or adjust it during free agency, whatever it is. That's going to get improved. They'll get another weapon or two offensively, probably bring another running back in. This team is just going to be better next year. And now you go from, it's, it's just crazy. You, you were, they were 0-9 with really nothing to build around. You know, a few good players on defense, but nothing where you would say, okay, this team's going to go into to 2018 and they're going to be a playoff team. You just said, okay, maybe if they get some pieces, they can win five or six games. I think now if they get some pieces, they're in contention for the division and definitely a playoff team. The Rams are really good. I think the NFC West is sort of changing around right now. Seattle, there's chinks in the armor there, man. There, there really are, and, and, and they're kind of, yeah. I think, they may make playoffs, but I think next year is going to be a rough year for, for Seattle. Arizona's on its way down, and, and the Rams are really good, and I think the Niners are going to be right behind them. It's, it's going to be interesting to see what 2018 brings. 
Yeah, it looks like, uh, speaking of Arizona, it looks like Bruce Arians is probably stepping down. So they're, they're going to have a new coach next year. I think that they'll most likely be going through a partial rebuild because they also need a, a quarterback. And obviously we know what's going on in Seattle. Their implosion with their players wanting to play for other teams and injuries and, and their offensive line woes. So I think that the time is now for the 49ers to make a move. And I, I agree with you, Al. The optimism that's surrounding the 49ers, it's real. This is this is not just some team that's getting a bunch of lucky wins. This is a team that's out executing their opponent. This is a team that's out scheming their opponent. This is a team that's out performing their opponent on a weekly basis. And if you look at what they did to Jacksonville, Jimmy Garoppolo took a bunch of undrafted free agents and low round picks and a bunch of guys that probably wouldn't start from any other teams, and he led them to yet another victory. I think that's the most impressive thing at all. It's not like he's doing this with a bunch of pro bowlers and that's, that's not an insult to the 49ers They're you know, but it is what it is, right? The, the, the roster is kind of in a transitional period and we're going to see a lot of new players next year. So he's, he's doing all of this with a roster. That's, that's not even set yet. And I think that that's probably the, the biggest thing of all that he's been able to accomplish is that he's been doing this with guys that he won't necessarily be playing with next year, guys, guys that that may be a step down from what he's going to be playing with next year. So I think that everybody's optimism is is definitely justified because he has pumped life, new life into an organization that was pretty much dead since Jim Harbaugh left. Yeah, and you look at some of these pieces, and Trent Taylor and George Kittle are, are top 10 in, in rookie receptions, and Taylor is the third most catches of any rookie with 41, uh, Juju and um, Cooper Cup are ahead of him, and George Kittle is the second most of any rookie tight end other than Evan Ingram, and these are fifth-round picks, you know, these are guys that you're like, all right, are, you know, are they going to work out, and and they are, it's it's amazing, and Marquise Goodwin is stepping up, and just looks really good, man, and, and I was even a little bit impressed, to be honest with you, oh, Matt Breida, I want to bring him up too, great game. Great game. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. He's actually averaging, I think, 4.2 yards per carry this year to Carlos Hyde's 3.8. And I know Hyde has a lot bigger of a sample size, but, um, you know, listen, Brita was in at the end of that game, right? You know, and, and that's that says something. And I know Hyde said a lot about, you know, he feels this can be a Super Bowl team and he wants to be here next year. I think the only way he's here next year is if he takes a big um, pay cut from what he would get in free agency because mm-hmm. I don't think the Niners are going to pay a lot for him not with the production he's given and has he had a bad season no he hasn't in a lot of weeks he's been their best offensive player but when you look at him you know he's played every game this year which is great we weren't sure he was going to be able to do that but 3.8 yards per carry 150 yards that's not setting the world on fire and, and I know there's been issues around him and but they have a passing game now and he's not doing overly well running the ball he's not dominating much to the imagination i should say i shouldn't even say he's not doing overly well he's not doing anything that someone else can't do do you know what i mean mm-hmm. he's not coming in here and in reeling off 150 yards and having these big games he's just looks like another running back in a lot of ways to me and i just don't think you pay somebody like that that's my opinion on it anyway there's going to be a gigantic bidding war on the frasier market because carlos hyde will probably be the best back that's on the market pending any roster cuts at the beginning of training camp or at the at the end of the year as it looks right now and we went over this a couple of weeks ago with all of the running backs that were going to be free agents he's going to be the best running back on the on the free agent market and i don't think that's a bidding more the 49ers are going to want to get into kyle shanahan came out this week and said that he sees matt Breida as a as a starting type back and i think that kind of is a window into the future matt Breida is probably going to be one of the starters next year or he'll at least be Aaron did in Atlanta with Devontae Freeman and Tevin Coleman. Those guys weren't first-round picks. Those guys yeah. were supposed to be kind of role-player-type players, and he made them into... Devontae Freeman is a franchise running back. Tevin, Tevin Coleman is is a really, really nice number two, if you even want if you even want to call him that. I feel like they're 1-1A. One one so that, that kind of shows that Kyle Shanahan doesn't need to have like an elite running back coming right out of the gates. He can develop a running back into something that's serviceable and something that fits the offense. So I don't think that the the, the, the whole thing about uh, Saquon Barkley and the draft and all that stuff and the 49ers getting him, I don't, I don't think that they're they're going to go that route. I don't think they're going to try to make a splash as far as the running back goes. I think that they're going to have an under-the-radar signing, whether it's whether it's somebody that's already on the market or, or drafting a running back in the middle rounds or mm-hmm. taking Joe Williams and seeing what he has. He's on IR. Or just starting Breida. I feel like th- they're going to come up with a solution that's a cost effective and b um not 
totally splashy. And I think that's okay because Kyle Shanahan can scheme guys open. Like we talked about this last week. Hell, Al, he can scheme me open for a 10-yard gain in the first down. Yeah. He's that good. It's amazing. Yep. And I see, I, I got to disagree with you. I don't think there's going to be a, a bidding war for Hyde. I just don't think people pay for running backs or are going to pay for a running back like that. He just, to me, he, unless he, he breaks off a 150 yard game, he's not going to have a thousand yard season. And it'd be four years where he hasn't broken a thousand yards with the team. Um, you know, and a thousand yards would set like 68 yards a game or something like that. He just, he hasn't had that year yet. He hasn't, other than the end of last season, he was really good the last five games or so, or five or last six games, whatever it was. Um, he just hasn't had that moment to me yet. So I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen with them. You know, I, I like him if they can bring him back on the cheap, I'm all for it. But like you said, I think they may find the running, um, a running back elsewhere. Now, defensively, there are still some issues, but with injuries and lack of pass rush and everything, there are going to be. But I don't look at it that way. What I look at the team defensively is right now, 49ers are seventh in the league in terms of yards per carry allowed defensively so seventh and rushing in terms of yards per carry at 3.8 compared to where they were last year that's amazing this team's been pretty stout against the run all year and you look at the yards allowed and, and they've allowed it a decent amount of yards i think they're in the top 10 or 11 in terms of um yards allowed or the, or the bottom i should say but they have the most carries against them in the league so they're only with all those carries they're only giving up 3.8 yards and, and and that's testament to the guys you have up front um testament to reuben foster flying around and I think the secondary is in better shape than people want to really say it is right now. Is there an issue with Dante Johnson in that cornerback slot? Yep, <laughs> there definitely is. But Quan Williams looks like a good piece. He, he's been playing really well the past couple of weeks. And Akilah Weatherspoon is is um, really coming along nicely. And, and I don't know that he's a number one shutdown corner yet. He might be one day. But you put a number, a good starting corner on the other side of him, and then with Williams in the slot, all of a sudden you have a nice little secondary. And they'll need some more depth there too. But and then you look at the safety position with Colbert and Ward in in um Tart. The secondary is not that far off. They're really only a player or two off from being really good. So you add that cornerback and you add a pass rusher, which are two pieces they need, and they're big pieces, but they're two pieces that this team needs. And this defense is to me is going to take a jump next year. And when you have a defense that's moving in that direction with the way the offense is going, again, you're talking playoff team in 2018. Solomon Thomas, DeForest Buckner, Earl Mitchell, Sheldon Day. They had a great game on Sunday against Jaguars. They were Day's phenomenal. Been a steal. What a steal that guy's been. He was he was great. I, and they've all been great. And and they were doing things. And when you're when you're actually watching the game live, I will say this, when you're actually watching the game live and, and you're able to see everything kind of develop in front of you and see the the different schemes or route concepts and all that stuff and run plays develop, holes open and close, it's a lot it's a lot more evident about what these guys are doing. It may not be as evident on TV, but they were they were clogging up holes. They were freeing up the linebackers. They were taking on double teams. The reason why Ruben Foster has been able to fly around so much and make tackles is because he's not he's there's never a blocker on him because the defensive line is taking yeah. up all the double teams and blockers. So the entire defensive line it, they they seem to be coming together at the at the end of the season. They seem to be kind of giving you a glimpse into the future of what their potential can be. And if you add another pass rusher, like you said, to that you add another dimension to this defense. I feel like that's one of the things that the, this defense is missing is a legitimate pass rusher. Elvis Dumerville is a nice piece, but he mm-hmm. is just a situational player at this point. He leads the team in sacks, but he's not on the field for every down. You need an every down sort of pass, pass rusher who can also play the run. And those guys are rare, and, and I hope I hope that John Lynch and Adam Peters and Mark Mayhew can find that guy, either free agency or the, or the draft. And they, they kept Leonard Fournette in check he's been one of the best backs this year uh, in mm-hmm. the entire league and they kept him in check they brought pressure on Blake Bortles they forced him into some bad throws and and they were they were great Ruben Foster I can't say enough about the guy like he's he's aside from Jimmy Garoppolo he's probably my favorite 49er to watch right now because the guy just brings intensity and excitement and is just like 100 miles per hour all the time like he doesn't know any other gear than the highest gear like it's it's so much fun to watch so I, I just hope he can stay healthy because every game he seems to be leaving with some sort of injury. I think that once he gets... <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a weekly thing, yeah. It is, it is. And I think once he gets a full NFL offseason and, and is able to take care of his body throughout the, the offseason, he can actually uh, be on the mend. And like you said, there is a problem at corner with Dante Johnson. He didn't have the pick six, which was nice to see, but for every good play he makes, he makes three or four bad plays. He was penalized several times after that, got beat several times after that, and he even was benched in the fourth quarter when the game was kind of still in the balance. So I, th- I think that they're definitely going to 
replace him. I think that Jimmy Ward may be moving back to corner. So it'll, it'll allow Adrian Colbert to stay at safety and Jukowski Tart to, to play in the box. Uh, it, it kind of brings an interesting question of Eric Reed and how he fits in. Do you, do you feel like they're going to keep Eric Reed next year? Uh, I, I don't because I think Adrian Colbert, I know they play different positions, but now you have Colbert and you have Ward. And if Ward is going to play a safety, then I think stay at safety. Then you have those two guys at free safety. And I think Tart is your strong safety. So. Again, if he comes back at a, at a good price, maybe. But I think Eric Reed's going to get a pretty good dollar in, on the free agent market, and, mm-hmm. and and for that reason, I don't think he does. You know, which and I like Eric Reed. Um, it'd be nice to have him back, but I, I I just don't see it happening. And one thing I wanted to say before I get off check with it too is the job that Kyle Shanahan has done this year. I don't think it's getting enough publicity. He has done an amazing job when you consider he kept this team together through zero and nine. And he's taken them to where they are now, where they're the hottest team in the NFL. He didn't lose the team. The team stayed with him. They made some really tough calls getting rid of Navarro Bowman. Mm-hmm. You know, they traded Rashad Robinson, you know, things like that. They just, they made tough calls. And the Niners, we keep saying the Niners have their quarterback. Well, they have their coach too. They absolutely have their coach. This has been as impressive, impressive a job as I can remember considering what's happened this season. And Zane and I were talking off the air, like, about if, if Jimmy Garoppolo was a quarterback all year, where would this team be? And we're like, well, we're wondering. So Zane, let's go through it and kind of look at these games and, and, and kind of play what if here. Okay. So obviously we know, we know what's happened since Garoppolo took over the team is four and all right. So, but before that you look at week one, they lose that game 23 to three to the, to the Panthers. I'm still going to give them a loss here. Um, it would have been a first week in the, in the new system. Um, I know it was a close game throughout, but just, you know, we can't say Jimmy's going to come in and put a 30 points, you know, the first week of the season when he's learning that. I'm going to say that would have been a loss. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Okay. All right. So we got 0-1. All right. The next game was the Seahawks. Um, they lost 12-9. to I absolutely think they would have won that game if they had any offense whatsoever, obviously. So I would give them a win there. Yeah, agreed. Yep. Agreed. Okay. Now, week three, they lost to the Rams 41-39. to The reason I can't give them a win here is because they scored 39 points. You know what I mean? And they lost the game. And we know things happen there. But for me, I'd mark that down as a loss, I think. I give him a win. I give him a win. You give him a win there? Okay. Yeah, I don't think that Brian Hoyer, I think, threw a pick on the second play of that of that game or something like that. He, he it was really one of the worst passes I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, yeah it I'll was immediately like my memory. they were up. They were down 7 nothing. So I, I don't think that happens with Jimmy Garoppolo. He can control the clock, control the game. Um, okay. Yeah, I'm going to say that they win that game. All right, so you got him at 2-1. and one, I got him at 1-2. and two. Cardinals week four, they lose 18 to 15. They absolutely win that game. Yep. Yep. Okay. So two and two, three, and, two and two and three and one. Um, they lose to the Colts 26 to 23. I think they would have blown the Colts out if they have Jimmy G there. Yep. No, no luck. Yep. They'll definitely win that game. All right. Three and two for me, four and one for Zane. Washington. Now they come back towards the end of the game. Um, they lose 26 to 24. But again, this was a game <laughs> I thought that was winnable. Um, so I would give them a win there as well. I'll give him a win. Yeah. All right. All right. So I have them at three and two. You have them at four and one. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Okay. The next three weeks now, um, you have them at five and one, actually. Oh, Zane, you can have a 14 and two season here? <laughs> Man. I, yeah. I mean, You're we'll see, we'll see what it turns out. Right? <laughs> Zane's feeling good. Let's see how it turns out. All right. The next three games now, and, and this was really the only part of the season where I thought the 49ers were things re- really, really looked bad. For the Niners, um, they had they got killed by the Cowboys. They got killed by the Eagles. In the in the Arizona game was pretty ugly too, at least offensively. And that's where things started to look bleak. And that's where I was a little bit like, oh, you know, the season can really go the wrong way now. Um, but I'm going to give them losses for both Dallas and Philadelphia, just because those games were one sided. And it's hard for me to say, okay, you lost by 30 to Dallas, you lost by 23 to the Eagles, you're going to win those games. So I got to give them both losses there. Yeah, agreed. Okay. All right, so I'm four and four. You're five and three. Um, Cardinals, they lost twenty to ten. I think they win that game. I don't think Arizona's any good. Yeah, and then and that was, I believe Drew, Drew Stanton was a quarterback at that time. Yeah, I think. They, yeah, I think, I think, I think the Niners are going to win that game. Um, the Giants game obviously would have been the same way. Jimmy might have put up sixty on them. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right, so I have six and four. You have seven and three. Do you think they beat the Seahawks? Um, I'm going to say they split. I'm going to say they split with the Seahawks. Okay, I mean, it's really hard to sweep fair. that team. 
Yeah, I, I think, think it's four. All right, so I have five losses. You have four. So right now you're eleven and four. I'm ten and five. If if Grapple is there all year, so say even if we're being overly optimistic, that's still probably nine wins at worst. They're yeah. they're fighting for a playoff spot at the end of the season, right? Mm-hmm. So it's 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 pretty amazing when you consider that. It really really is. So hey, good stuff. Now getting my game ball. Um, you mentioned it when you were talking about the defense. I, I always talk about the game balls. Was, we can give it to Jimmy G every week, right? The way he's playing. Um, I like to give mine to a guy who has a really good game that this team needs to contribute. I gave it to Garrett Selleck last week. I give mine to Solomon Thomas because he had a really strong game. Really strong game. Six tackles, five solo, one sack, a, sack, mm-hmm. a tackle for loss, a QB hit. He played a really, really, really solid game. Um, and I was definitely the type of thing you want to see moving forward. Like you want to see Solomon Thomas have games like that. Cause he's a big part of this defense. I keep saying, do, is he going to be a 10 sack guy? Maybe not, but he plays like that where he's, you know, maybe he could end up being a six, seven, eight sack guy and he's stout against the run. So my game ball is going to Solomon Thomas. And uh, it kind of fits in with what I was talking about earlier with the defensive line. Like they, they were, they were, they probably played their best game all season. I think last game they were, they were dominant. And the score doesn't reflect it because honestly, Al, I, I, I hate talking about this, but the game at at in the at least in the first half was controlled by penalties. Jacksonville was not able to move the ball. They got a couple of penalties here and there, and all of a sudden they're in the red zone. Like I, it just drives me nuts. It just mm-hmm. it just drives me nuts when that happens. Yep. And I believe they had one penalty in the first half. Forty nine had seven. In the second half, obviously it balanced out. Jacksonville had I think ten penalties in the second half or something ridiculous. Many of those coming after the game was decided and, and they got all angry and, and started pushing and shoving amongst each other and, and the 49ers too. So I, I think that this would have been a much, uh, the, the deficit would have been a lot more for the Jaguars had those things not happened. but I digress. I think, I, I think the defensive line played great. So my game ball is going to go to Akela Weatherspoon and he was, he played a great game. Like I, I feel like he's very quietly becoming a standout corner on on the one side, and I, I I can't just help but dream to think what he would do with the dominant pass rush with quarterbacks not having enough time to to throw and how many more interceptions he would have. He made a great play on the ball that he had an interception on. He had another great play where he had a pass breakup down the field. He he looks definitely looks a part of a starting cornerback, and he was inactive for most of the season before this. He was inactive for I believe half the season, so. Mm-hmm. For a guy that hasn't played too much, he's really making a big impact, and and I think that the future is bright for him. I think that he's better than Rashard Robinson last year, in my opinion. I feel like Rashard Robinson kind of got too comfortable and and didn't work enough. But Witherspoon seems like a good guy, good head on his shoulders, and and he has a similar skill set. But I feel like the talent is he's a little bit more, ta- more talented. So, Akella Witherspoon gets my gets my game ball. You're going with him over Jimmy G, huh? Yeah, I mean, and and I, I'm going to talk a little bit about Jimmy G. And we obviously he's the big story, but we don't want to lead every show off with Jimmy G because that would just be the same thing every week. But the guy has transformed this entire franchise and the outlook of this franchise. Like the the national media is starting to take notice. The team is starting to take notice. Like this guy is the real deal. When you see him make some of these throws, the touchdown throw he had to Trent Taylor is one of the best throws I've ever seen. Like he was going across his body against the grain throws a sidearm ball to Trent Taylor right on the money into a small window. Like, it's unbelievable. And earlier on in the game, he threw a ball to Kendrick Bourne between two defenders that I for sure thought was going to be picked. Oh, yeah. And yeah. <laughs> it was just like right. The, the window was tiny. And you can see it from up in the stands, too. We were like, I, I can't believe he threw that. And just the, the places that he's fitting the ball and the command that he has over this offense, like you can see when when – Players come open, and I highly encourage fans to download the All-22 or subscribe to the All-22 film. You can actually see these routes developing and guys coming open. Like There's guys coming open on every single play. That's how good Kyle Shanahan's scheme is, and, and all credit goes to him for that. But the other half of that is that Jimmy Garoppolo has to see them, and he, hits, he makes the right read almost every single time. It's uncanny. It's unbelievable. His pocket presence is unbelievable. So, I, Al, I, I can't say enough good things about this guy, and I, and I just hope they keep him healthy, and I hope they surround him with something next year. 
Yeah, what can you say? And I know a lot of fans, a lot of the talk on Twitter and things like that have been um, about his contract. And I'm not worried about it. They'll get something done. I mean, this team can franchise him for the next three years if they want to. They'll, they'll get you know, That's not ideal, but something will get done. He's too important to this franchise for it not to happen. And you have to feel like he wants to be here. Why would he want to play with anyone other than Kyle? Look, look what they're doing together. Look at the type of offense Kyle Shanahan designs. If he has a hat on his shoulders, and I think he does, Garoppolo is going to look at this and say, I'm, I'm going to be a star if I stay with Kyle Shanahan. He already is a star the way he's going. But if I stay with Kyle Shanahan, the sky's the limit for me. I really believe that he knows that. And they'll get something done. The Niners have the cap room, and he's the centerpiece of the franchise. It'll happen. I mean, where else is he going to go? The rest of the teams that have cap room below the 49ers, none of them are, are really any contenders. You have the, like, the Cleveland Browns and those other teams like the Texans and, and Giants and teams like that, that that aren't really competitive right now. The 49ers can give him the most money in the most years. It doesn't end on top of that. He knows the scheme. He knows the system. He, Kyle Shanahan is, in my opinion, the best offensive mind in all of football. It doesn't make any sense. All indications from the people that we've talked to are that he's going to get at least a long-term contract offer during this offseason, whether he accepts it or not is, is, is another issue. But from all in- indications that we got, he will have some sort of offer in place that, that he can have to, to be a 49er for the long-term. And in my opinion now, I think they just, you know, offer him five years, let, let him ride or die with Shanahan and Lynch. They have the Shanahan Lynch after this year, have five years left on their contract. They mm-hmm. all get the same contract. They all sink or swim together. So front load that contract for all the cap room surrounded with some playmakers. There's, there's going to be some good receivers on the market. Devontae Adams is out there. Allen Robinson's out there. Yeah. Uh, there's going to, they're going to have a top 10 draft pick. They can draft Quentin Nelson, shore up that offensive line. Like this team is not too many players away. This team is closer than a lot of people think. Plus they have a last, last play schedule next year. So they've got a favorable schedule next year. I think the fear was um, that it turns into a Kirk Cousins situation. I think that's kind of what the fear is. The Niners yeah. going to offer him a contract. The question is, does he take it or does he hold, you know, wait for more money? And then you end up on a franchise tag thing and, and you end up in this Kirk Cousins situation. That's probably the fear. That's probably worst case scenario. He'll be a Niner for the next two years. There, you know, if he keeps playing like this, regardless, but I have confidence that it's going to get done. I, I, I really do. Um, and hey, this is we couldn't have imagined that this would be the situation um, this team would be in, you know, a month ago. So it's great to be having this conversation right now about what kind of contract you're going to give your franchise quarterback when you haven't had a franchise quarterback in forever. So mm-hmm. definitely, um, definitely good. Good. Now, yeah. what about next week, Zane? Do you feel like this game is winnable against the uh, man? I know I picked against the 49ers last week, and and. Uh, they they made me a fool again, which is which I'm happy about. I'm 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 happy when I'm wrong about that. But I think that it really depends on what happens in front of the Rams. If everybody kind of wins in front of them and and they don't have anything to gain by winning, I feel like they'll rest some people. And if they rest some people, they'll definitely Four Niners will definitely win. But man, Todd Gurley is playing out of his mind right now. He he, in my opinion, is the NFL MVP. Like yeah, he's been great running the ball, catching the ball. Like he is an all around back. He is the best running back in all of football. In my opinion, he is the best player in all of football this year. So I, I think the 49ers, I think that the winning streak ends here. I think that Jimmy Garoppolo and the Niners will finally lose one, but um, I think it'll be a closer game than people think. I think this will be a high scoring game, but I think the 49ers will go down probably 30 to 27. Hmm. So you're picking against them this week, huh? You're, you're feeling it's going to happen? Yeah, I mean, I, I, my, my heart says to to stay with them this week, but my mind is like, I mean, LA is just so good right now. They're arguably yeah. the best team in the NFL. They're so good. Yeah, they're hitting their stride maybe at at the right time right now. But but I and I don't know the specifics of their. I, I know they're in the playoffs and they won the division, and everything like that. I don't know what they have to play for, or or if they really have anything else to play for seating wise and that sort of thing, or, or how it all shake out when the game's over when the game starts, I should say, but I think what you, the Niners are going to pull this one out. And in the first half, the Rams are going to probably do their thing, but at some point they may arrest people. So that gives the 49ers an opportunity to steal one, maybe if, if they need to. So I'm, I picked against them against Jacksonville. I'm, I'm going to pick the Niners this week and I'm going to say they finished the season six and 10. And, um, just in it would would end up being an amazing six out of seven wins after an zero nine start. I have to see they're, if anyone's ever done that before. They're much better. This, they're, they're much better than their record shows. Like they're yeah. They're we, we, much, we just much said better. it. If, 
And not even if, if Garoppolo started the whole year, but if the, that five-game stretch, even if a couple breaks go differently, they might have another three or four wins. Yeah, if, if they win two of those games, they're eight and eight. So, yeah. Which is amazing it, considering where this where the, this team started and where this roster started and everything. It's just crazy. Yeah. It's kind of funny because with the Raiders losing against the Eagles uh, this past week, the Raiders lose again and the Niners win. They're both six and ten. And I think that's hilarious given the fact that everybody was picking the Raiders as like a Super Bowl team and then, I, and then the same people were saying the Niners are trash and this and that. Like I think it's hilarious that that may be, that may be the fact and that may be true come the end of the season. I think Derek Carr's hurt. I know he's taken a lot of a lot of heat this year. Didn't he? He hurt his back right early yeah, in the season. He, I'm not he, making he that up. Right. He broke a bone in his back, and he's clearly yeah. not right. I feel like yeah, he, so he's not right. Yeah. Let's everybody and, and you know they're the Raiders, so everybody likes to jump on them. But see where he is next year. See when he he plays healthy because he's he's probably gutting it out, and he's not. I just I hate when I see things like that. Like people are just jumping him. Oh, Derek Carr, this and oh, he's not what we thought he was. Like the guy's hurt, man. Like yeah, clearly, clearly, like everybody's so quick to jump to judgments. See what he does next year. If he's still garbage next year, then okay, say whatever you want about Derek Carr. But everybody's so quick to jump, especially about quarterbacks. It drives me nuts. So I think maybe he's taking heat he doesn't deserve right now. And Al, I have to say that since your rant a few weeks ago, I think it was a, oh, what, yeah. it was a month ago. Since your rant, the 49ers are undefeated. Do you, do you realize it's, that? It's all because of me. Yeah, I, you're right. You. Yeah. You're like right. when they lost their ninth wow. game. Before before they beat the Giants, you, you went on that big rant about how this team is unwatchable and, and it was it was an awesome rant. It was an all timer. No, and I think it was then. it was after the Seattle game. Oh, it that's right. The yep, Seattle yep. Game. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Because it was you know, we were up from the Giants game and then they came back and it was the same crap against Seattle where they yep. can't score and they get a garbage touchdown at the end and I I lost my mind. If listeners didn't check out that show, it's the one I think we did with Jeff Christensen was our guest. So Check that one out. Um, and ever since I lost it, you know, listen, maybe that was going on a loop in the 49ers locker room. That's it had to be right. <laughs> yeah. And they just got everybody fired up. So I'd yeah. say it's 80% Jimmy Garoppolo and 20% Al Sacco is what I say, yeah. what I say it is. So that, I mean, it's just, you know, me guesstimating, but it's probably, it's probably in that area. I would say, yeah, man, this team owns me, owes me. I should be on the front <laughs> of like, you know, the team video they do every year. Yeah. Yeah. Gotta have my picture on the front of it. Right. I the, at least game tickets or something, man. I mean, they, they were yeah, free stuff. Uh, you should you should give them your email address. Be like, hey, uh, email our, our our buddy Bob Lang. Be like, hey, Bob, just send send it over. Send send all this stuff over. Um, yeah, and you're welcome. Oh, we have an email. We we should actually hold on. I don't even know what it is. Okay, we actually have an email address for the podcast now, and it's no huddle at forty nineerswebzone dot com, and that's for business and media inquiries. If you want to have Zane and I on your podcast or anything like that, um. Or you want to send me free stuff? That's that is our um, <laughs> new email. We just set that up, so it's no huddle at forty nineerswebzone dot com. There it is. And if you want to send cool stuff, you can send it to me. If you want to send just like crap, just send it to Al. I'll take anything free. Doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> so, in the spirit of ranting and keeping this winning streak going, I'm going to go on a, on a quick rant before we okay. before we close. Okay. So, officiating in this league, Al, what the heck is a catch? Does anybody know? Does anybody yeah. know what a catch is anymore? Does anybody, this know, does anybody know what a football move is anymore? The 49ers had a fumble return for a touchdown that I for sure thought was going to be a touchdown because the guy caught the ball, took two steps, then fumbled the ball. I for sure thought that was a fumble, a recovery, and a touchdown. It's clear as day. The people in New York decided that that was going to be an incomplete pass. I don't know how they came to that conclusion, given the fact that he took two steps and put the ball away. Like, what What? What do you want them to do? They, they say, oh, a football move. Hop on one foot, do a somersault, do three barrel rolls, and now you have a catch? Like, I mean, it's ridiculous. I hear you, man. You're preaching to the choir. They, they, have to, they have to sit down in the offseason and the rules committee has to get together, and they have to figure out either what a catch is or just come to some agreement on how they're going to handle all this because it's it's a joke right now. Just making everything too complicated. And you know, we've talked about the need full-time officials. The officials in the league are a joke. I understand they have a hard job, but every week there's just atrocious errors being made. And and you have to wonder how much of it actually comes from the league because if they're calling this stuff, you know, in terms of these bad penalties and these ticky-tack penalties, is the league emphasizing to do it? Right? Yeah. I, I mean, I can't imagine the league saying to officials, you know, listen, you know, scale it back a little bit and they're still doing it. So... You have to wonder what the thought process is. I just don't understand it. The NFL is lucky that so many people really like it and all well, the gambling aspect of it makes it attractive. And 
because some of the decisions they make and some of the leadership is, is, is atrocious. So it's, it's awful. Like Kelvin Benjamin again, and, 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 Buffalo, he had a oh touchdown God, and, yeah, yeah. and and last week we had the uh the Jesse James touchdown and and against the the Patriots with uh where the, the Steelers scored and it's just I I don't know what a catch is any I I it's just the worst experience when you're when you're all pumped up at a game because your team scored a touchdown or or whatever got a turnover and you have to wait for the review. It just takes away mm-hmm. so much from the game and they've overcomplicated it. They've overmanaged it. They've over, uh, for lack of a better term, they've over, you know, put, put in too many rules. And now it's hurting the game because nobody really knows what to call it. Like yeah. Cassius Marsh hit Blake Bortles in the chest in, in, in the, the game against the Jaguars. And it was a clean hit. He hit him in the chest, didn't hit him in the head or anything after, after Bortles threw the ball. It's probably a split second after he threw the ball. But because it looked like a hard hit, the official threw a flag for roughing the passer. Like there's no consistency. Yeah. There's no consistency with penalties. There's no consistency with replays. There's no consistency with with discipline. Like the league, the league has a lot to do with regard to all of these things in the off season if they want to improve the game. And it's it's ridiculous, and it's making the game harder to watch. I think there's a, there's enough um, voices now, and enough people. I heard Tony Dungy was even you know kind of criticizing stuff that were happening. And, you know, when Tony Dungy says something, I think people would listen. So um, I, I think they have to look at the offseason. I believe that they will. But to see if if something comes of it and, and they're not too pig-headed to, you know, and they don't change anything. But, you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes. So that was a good rant, though, Zane. It was definitely a good rant. Yeah, I, I expect to have the same rant next week because every week, <laughs> every week this happens. So and, and then we have the whole offseason to complain about. Man, it's going to be a long offseason this year, isn't it? It is. Oh man, it's going to be a really long off season. Like the draft can't come soon enough. The training camp can't come soon enough. It's it's like a tease, right? They yeah. tease us with all this good football at the end of the season, kind of show us what they can do, and now we got to wait another almost year, nine months to to get some more. Like, come on, guys. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, we'll be able to reach out to some people and get some good guests, and it'll, it'll be fun off season um, conversation. So, yeah, it'll be looking forward to it. So, yeah, definitely some exciting guests coming up too, and um, we're always, you know. Our producer does an amazing job, David Bonilla, getting getting guests on here, and um, we're excited for the people we have coming up as well. So, all good. All right, Zane, you got anything else? No, man. That's. I just wanted to keep the rant streak going, so keep the winning streak going. Yeah, the grumpy old men segment. Got a grumpy old men segment. Absolutely, <laughs> find something to complain about. Yeah. <laughs> all right, Zane. Thanks to um, Joe Starkey for joining us. Thanks to the fans for listening, and let's go out and get another W next week. Peace.